electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thank you very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center. This hour, what else? This ugly sell-off today. Just as the Fed begins its pivotal meeting on interest rates, our investment committee debating the road ahead for your money. And joining me for the hour today, right here at Post 9, Stephanie Link, Joe Terranova, Jim Labenthal, Brian Belsky is going to be along in just a moment as well. There's your market picture. There's the ugliness I was referencing. Dow's down by more than 500. S&P 500 is down more than 1.5%. NASDAQ uh, pretty ugly today as well, 5 uh, there's 343 uh, on the 10-year note as well as we watch what yields are doing. So, Steph, um, you got major pressure. You got regional banks getting hammered. I think, um, you know, it's this who's next thing is kind of hanging over the market. There's nervousness about the Fed. There's nervousness about the economy. How do you size it up here today? It's a big week, right? We have a lot to get through. But today was ugly in terms of the jolts numbers, the worst in two years. That's really a, that's problematic. So all of a sudden, the hard landing is back in yeah. action, right? Yeah. We have the debt ceiling, X date, June 1st, June earlier 1st, than according expected. To, according to the Treasury Secretary. Yes. For sure. I mean, that's just adding to the, adding you know, to the, the nail biting a little bit. And to your, right. And to your point, the banks, the, all of the banks are under pressure. Man, you see these losses on the regionals. I mean, and it, I know you say all the banks. You put up the regionals, guys, some, a board of some of these names, um, 20%. Right. And and the like almost across the board. And yes, some of the larger money center banks too, the two to three percent, not immune either. We know that the large banks are gaining share. We know the deposits are a problem for for just about everybody except the, the big six, right? But I think what's underplayed right now, Scott, is capital. We are going to have regulation like we haven't seen. Basel four is is going to be back in action 2023 to 2025. You mean like capital requirements yes. that the banks are going to be forced yes. to hold, and that number is going to go up. And as a result, you have less buybacks and less dividend growth, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I think the big banks are better situated, but that's not going to help the overall sentiment. So I don't think it's necessarily who is next, although I got to tell you, I am watching something like SoFi or Affirm. I mean, those, those stocks yeah. are just plummeting. And so there's real concern out there. But I don't know if it's necessarily who's going to fail next as much as, oh, my goodness, the whole narrative has just changed. Yeah. You know, Joe, under under my you know additional pressure points today, SoFi's on it, down like 10 percent. Chegg down, last I saw was 40-something percent um, related to AI. But nonetheless, I mean, they are concern points 
that sort of weigh, the, the, they, they fit on the umbrella of concerns yeah. today. So we thought 24 hours ago that maybe First Republic would be idiosyncratic. We thought that you would have some relative calm uh, playing off of what Jamie Dimon's comments were over the weekend. And in fact, that proves not to be true today. What stands out to be Zion down 11%, Comerica down 11%. You see the stress returning once again in regional banks, the VIX approaching 19, up 18%. And the sector that's down most today is the most loved sector in the equity market. That's energy. No, that's energy. Everyone universally loves energy. Energy's down 4.7%. Tech's down a lot too, just. So unfortunately for me, um, I view this day as a significant one. I view this day as what I call a change in trend. Um, I've expected that the calendar Q3 mm-hmm. is going to be the most difficult one from a performance standpoint for the market. I think we are in the most intense in Q2 period where you'll see economic and earnings contraction. And on a day like today, you could not ignore all of the negative dynamics that are going on and then add upon that the technical reversal. Okay. And you had a dramatic technical reversal yesterday. You failed at 41.86, you never broke above 41.95, which was the high from February, and you never got above 4,200. Mr. Yeah, but what's the (laughs) retort to, to this? Yeah, I, I understand why you call me that. I'd like to think I'm a little bit more balanced. I certainly see what Stephanie and Joe, what you guys are saying. I, you know, my perspective on this in terms of what's I happening say your today. commentary is necessarily what you would describe as balanced. I mean, I think you're kind of an outlier on where I'll you tell think you the what that I, that I will accept. That I will accept. I am to, an I outlier. I am an outlier in terms. I still think I'm balanced, but I'm an outlier in terms of where because I see the negatives. Right. I'm not going to disagree with what these guys no, said. No, but that's what I said. You're always yeah, but. Okay, let's move on from the characterization of me. I think what's happening today, heard you, For loved it, okay? Um, I think what's happening today Delsky's is... smiling, I haven't even gotten to him yet. Go ahead. Thing, all right? Go ahead. He thinks think he's going to get un- He today. thinks he's going to be unscathed. Mm-hmm. Wait till I get to him, but go ahead. Okay, I think what the market's saying today is Fed, watch out tomorrow. Watch out tomorrow, okay? I have been of the opinion strongly held that not only is it unwise to raise 25 basis points tomorrow, but it was unwise a month ago. And the reason is you've got an important patient in the intensive care unit. That is the banking system at whole. Certainly the regional is far more than the large. And it's just not a time to say to the banking system, go out and run a 10K. It's just not the time to do it, all right? Let the banking system heal. Another 25 basis, hang on, Steph, just one sec, okay? Another 25 basis points is going to be meaningless other than to validate the chest pounding that's been going on from Fed speakers for quite some time. You're not alone, by the way. I mean, the the CNBC Fed survey that just came out, 59% believe the Fed's making a mistake and should hold this month. This month, they shouldn't even go. Exactly, sixty-five percent. It's screaming at them. Sixty-five. I know, but it doesn't matter. What, whatever. They're, if they do what they do, like what you think, I, doesn't I, listen, make a, a darn saying, bit of difference if I'm they do it. It's, I'm not saying it's going to change them because I think their mindset is locked in here. But I'm telling you, the market is saying something. We're talking about what's the market saying today? Well, the market might Fed, be delusional. The market thinks that the Fed's going to cut sometime this year. That's what the bond market still thinks. You know, there's a reason behind that, not just that a recession is going to occur. There's a reason, and this is perfectly rational, is that inflation is coming down. If it continues to come down, you can get to a point three months from now where the real interest rate on the Fed funds rate is demonstratively largely positive, And why keep it there? But they're backward looking. You know that. The Fed I do know that. Looking. I do they're know behind, that. And we all know that they're behind. But if when you look, if we 
that the well, services inflation is still very high. Too high. It's at 5.8%. So that's not backward looking. That's not backward CPL. looking. Well, it, uh, look, I mean, we all see it's come down from its peak. CPI went from 9% to 5%. Yeah, I know. So it is making progress, right? Sure, but so, it needs to get down to 2 And it's going to continue. It's going, of course, I'm in that camp. I get it. That's why I don't think the Fed is going to ease anytime soon, but I don't think they're looking at forward-looking indicators so that they can change policy and change their mind. I do not think, tomorrow is not a surprise. 25 basis points, maybe some dovish commentary, or maybe just neutral commentary. Well, I mean, the market was sort of hanging on the idea yes. that you're going to get 25 and the dovish commentary. Well, we'll see. You're going to get this uh, implicit pause, pause I don't think language so. from the chair. If you don't get the pause tomorrow, does that change your market That's a bias? Bad, it's a bad does it situation. Change your market bias. Yeah. I don't think they're going to pause. You guys no, think they're no, going to no, pause? No, no, no. Listen, talk about it. I think I think they should have paused a month ago. But who cares what Agreed. I think? Okay, I do. And it's because of the banking system. For the pause. Right. If they come out, they ignore uh, the inference towards a pause. If they come out extremely hawkish, then they're just saying break your it. market bias will change. It has to. Well, let me tell you this. 65% of people who responded to the survey I just mentioned say equity levels are too high relative to their outlook for earnings and the economy. 47% say there's a, a chance of a 10% decline in stocks over the next six months. So how, how do we, would you guys fall, you fall in that camp? You fall in that camp? I, 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 listen, I've, I've said this. I think the most intense, in, in, intense contraction is right here. It's right now. I think when you're looking at all the economic data. Contraction in what? I mean, we're about 4,200 10 seconds ago. I'm not talking about the market. I'm talking about what's going on in the real economy. I'm talking about the impact on earnings. I'm talking about credit availability. I don't think anything matters after the second week of March because that's when you saw the dramatic tightening in credit conditions. And we don't know the full effect of that yet. We are now playing through that month of April into May. Credit conditions are going to get even tighter. And that is going to restrict economic growth. And I think we're going to really feel it okay. in Q3. And yet so earnings I, were actually better than earnings expected. Were better. They, they and, even, and even guidance was a, a little bit better than expected. I know we reset the numbers and we, re we reset expectations, but the numbers are the numbers, right? Ste and Steph, the market doesn't believe it. You're absolutely right. Earnings are coming in this quarter so fabulously, up 3.2% from a month ago, the estimates. But the full year estimates are still going down. And that's the market's way of saying we don't believe it. Not in the every sector, they're not just going really down. Quickly, they're not the, going down in every sector. No, 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 but in overall, technology, just overall, but here's they actually what, here's went the opposite the, way. The way this narrative changes is when the Fed's done raising rates. Until then, every quarter will continue to be strong labor market, GDP's growing, earnings are okay. We don't believe it's going to last until the Fed stops. And you're a long-term investor, and you see that as an opportunity. So do I. So does Joe, right? Like, that's where Absolutely. you see, and you do your homework, and we'll have to be a little bit patient. You may not make money right away in names, but you look for big quality companies well, I, on I mean, sale. I don't care if you're a longer-term investor or not. If you think that if you think the market, if you agree with the, the group that I mentioned, that 40, if you're in the 47 percent that think there's a 10 percent decline coming in stocks, you could be a longer term investor from here to you know eternity. You're not going to want to buy stocks today if you're convinced they're going to go 10 percent lower. Like you're not going to buy anything at the store if you know that a week from now it's going to be 40 percent off. I'm not in that camp. I'm in, a, I'm in the trading range camp, and I'm looking for opportunity. And I'm going to talk about a name that I bought. I know. Hold on. And, and that's exactly what I'm doing. Don't do that yet. No, I know. Brian Belsky is here, I'm I teasing. mentioned. Um, so here, here's my issue with you, okay? Oh, Welcome back. Oh, boy. Thank so, you so much. No, no, this is, this, is, this is legit, I think. Okay. So the last time that, that we were on together, you took a shot at me, um, suggesting that I was too negative on the earnings picture, okay? You remember that? I do. I do. 
So, I don't know, it was like a day or two later, you put out a note that said, quote, for the first time in many years, our enthusiasm for stock market performance potential this year is relatively tempered. So, I mean, you sound like you're much more sanguine on, on the market than you would have people otherwise believe. I mean, you have a 4,300 price target on the S&P. You don't see a significant amount of, of upside ahead at all. So where, where's the rub? Where's the rub? Well, you first, can't be overly optimistic on earnings and then put out commentary that says that. First of all, thank you for clarifying that. And thank you for an opportunity to talk about this. So there's a difference between earnings and performance of the market. Let's, let's talk about that first. Secondly, we're publishing analysts, and we've had a 4,300 target and a 220 earnings number since November of last year. That's our target. That's our base case. Our bull case is 4,800 and 230. According to our work, uh, the bottoms up number uh, bottomed up for the, for the market two weeks ago around 221 in terms of forecast. As Jim said, the loss for this quarter has been cut in half. Earnings have come out ahead 370 basis points higher than most people thought. My case and my argument, uh, a bit heated last time, was it was my belief that you were coming across too negative and talking too negative about the earnings side of things. In our call, I was, was just that- pointing, Let me just stop you for a second. I don't talk negatively about anything. I was pointing out where earnings are, where they've gone to, where expectations still are. The numbers are the numbers. You want to characterize the num- them however you the want. The numbers are the numbers, Scott. But again, according to the way that we look at things in our published research, which has been out there now in terms of the earnings revision cycle, for the last two months, we saw earnings revisions on a diffusion index when you compare FY2, I'm getting kind of geeky here, FY2 versus FY1, bottom out six weeks ago. That tells me, from my experience, that analysts and companies have been too negative and that the outlooks, they may still be negative and the numbers may still go down. That's what keeps us saying, when that, that's what keeps us more, let's call it logical and common sense, Scott, if I was out here in the quote-unquote permable, then I'd be saying buy, 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 buy. No, what I'm saying is 4,300 target. We're comfortable with our 220 earnings. We actually said that day that the number could go below 220, but end up right around 220 or higher by year end. I still believe that we're in a secular bull market. I still believe that the low on 10-22, October 22nd, is the low for this bear market. I firmly believe that. Now, per Joe's point, I think the sell in May stuff and getting into June, July is, is going to work this year. I think it's going to be choppy into the summer. I really do. We have so many things going on from a fundamental economic and technical perspective that point towards some sort of a pullback. We even said it in our piece that we published on Friday. Then if you take a look at the quantitative factors that have been working so far year to date, of the top 10, number two through six are momentum and technical indicators. Mm-hmm. Whenever momentum and technical indicators lead the market on a short-term basis, a trend reversal is coming. So what's the reversal of the trend short-term? I think we have some choppiness. So I'm not being go, go, go bullish. I'm not, I was just defending that I believe that your tone and tenor was what too negative. What are you negative. defending, 220? 
on earnings? That's what you. That's. I was defending that. Defending? I believe I was defending this belief that earnings were going to be a lot worse than everybody thought because corporate America came out and already pl- started playing the game that under promise and over delivered. Diamond and um, Jamie uh, and Moynihan started this in January. And oh, by the way, they did it again in April. So guess what? I'm going to go with what corporate America is going. The same trend that that happened between 2009 and 2019, under promise and over deliver. And I think that's going to be the trend for the next few years. You think Jim Leventhal is too optimistic on the market and on and on the economy? To some degree, yes, I do. But again, um, that's over the very short term. Longer term, he's spot on. I believe that North American equities, both Canada and the United States, are going to lead the way for the next three to five years. I believe cyclicals, value, small cap. We have been, the, the move in small cap stocks has been unbelievably too negative. We're going to have this massive move into small cap, massive move into, into value, GARP, yield at a reasonable price, quality. Those are going to be leading for the next 10 years. What's happened so far this year has been a complete wishwash of strategy. January was was by the tech stocks that were beaten up the most. Yay, great. We actually were on the network saying we didn't believe in the January move. Then January, February, we had this value move. Then what happened in May, I'm sorry, March was the debacle in financials, which caused people, investors, that needed to be invested, Scott. When you need to be invested, you buy the highest market cap stocks, liquidity stocks. Oh, what are they? Apple and Microsoft. So that's why tech went up in March. And the same things happened uh, maybe so you, far. Maybe you went to them because they've got the best balance sheets, they've got the best, most stable growth, they're viewed as more defensive in nature. They do, and we've been... You can cherry pick whatever reason you want to find why people went to those stocks to fit your case. Right, we've been defending those stocks for years. We've called them the consumer staples of tech, and we've maintained our positions there. What we have not been in are the high multiple ARC stocks. We've been very negative on those stocks, and we think they're dead for five years. And we think technology as the leading sector is going to have a harder time, but that doesn't mean you can still not be market weight. It's 26% of the market. That's Still a big would you sell? Would you sell mega caps now? Take some profits? No, I would not. I would trim. I would trim back if you're overweight because if you're, if these stocks have run. If if your positions are above where the market is, I would be trimming them back to market weights. Can I, yeah, thanks. Um, earnings, earnings is what we're talking about, right? And yeah. I want to give you a reason. I want to rationalize why guys like me and Brian think that the bottom is in as of October, and it really comes down to where earnings are are trending right now, right? Where next year's earnings are trending, around 245, 246, is where this year's earnings expectations were roughly a year ago. Now, that's a big move, right? That we pushed out the level of earnings, around 246, we pushed it out a year. That was reflected in our opinion, I'll speak for myself, probably for Brian, I think I can speak for Steffi too, but I don't want to. That was reflected in the 25% decline. <laughs> Why don't I don't speak for everybody here, name everybody while you're at it. Well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna speak for you, my Go friend. Ahead. No. The 25% Bill. peak to trough. Speaking for Bill. Bill's with me. The show. Bill's with me, even though he's a devil's he's got, fan. He's speaking for Bill. Go ahead. The 25% peak to trough decline last year was the reflection of $245 a share in S&P 500 earnings being pushed out a year. That's my opinion. I'll, I'll leave it there. So Brian talked about the factor of momentum indicating something, and I think what it's indicating is that the market is experiencing a return to where growth is going to be favored. Growth at a reasonable price is going to be favored, in which inflation is coming down, in which, unfortunately, the overweight exposure to energy 
materials, consumer staples needs to be pared back, and it's going to be pared back significantly in the next month. Further momentum strategies are going to be sellers of healthcare, they're going to be sellers of energy, you see that today, and the mega caps, however you want to find them, and by the way, a fantastic job with Meta holding on to that position. Um, I'm now joining you in that position. But I think the mega caps, however you want to define them, they are indicative of the environment we are in right no, now. No, I don't, I don't disagree with that. But the one thing is you have to remember, too, that so many energy stocks got thrown into the growth index, so you got to be careful on that, number one. Number two, staples are excessively expensive, and, and who's buying Campbell Soup in General, in General Mills anymore? Number three, I think you can still, I think that what you want to be in, it's not binary, not all value, all growth. It's value, growth at a reasonable price, yield at a reasonable price, and quality. If you take a quality un, um, umbrella over the market and you do a fill you know, the, the highest quality stocks are tech because of the balance sheet of strength and the earnings stability. That's why they're rallying right so now. That's this why quality is actually significantly outperforming momentum. But on your comment on energy, I, I, just just expand that if I don't understand what when you so say. The, because remember, when they when they reconstitute the index, a lot of the reconstitution of the index is based on performance. So energy has been a great performer in 21 and 22. So therefore, you have a lot of energy stocks in the growth index. And they, that could be a problem, number one. Number two, I think that we entered into this period like the 80s and 90s, mid 80s, mid 90s, where it's going to be a stock picker's market. Jim and I are talking, we talk more than you know uh, we're, uh, off, off air, but no. it's, re <laughs> it's really difficult. No. It's really difficult, and Stephanie can talk I about this as, as well. Joe too. It's really difficult to beat the market when it's up a lot or down a lot. It's really difficult, but I think we're entering into a period, as we've been talking about now for several months, this period, this notion of normalizing historical returns, high single-digit, low double-digit. We can beat the market in those types of returns because we are on concentrated portfolios, 50 stocks, 75 at the most in small mid-cap. And if we're in the right stocks in the right positions, you can beat the market. I think too many people are still focused on making the big market call versus making stock calls. So your value I, I, call, though, that would imply that you think rates are going to stay higher for longer. Is that the fa in fact the case? Stephanie, anything is higher than zero. Anything's higher than zero rates, right? And if you look at the historical interest rate with respect to the 10-year, including the financial crisis, it's 5%, right? Yeah. If you take that out, it's 7%. So we're going to be lower than that, right? But we're going to be, the majority of investors that I speak with, unfortunately, on the sell side have been in the business 10 years. They, all they know is that you, you buy stocks as interest rates go down. But if we're in a 2 to 3% or 3 to 4% 10-year treasury range, that's really good for stock picking and it's really good for value, but it's also good for growth at a reasonable price. And so I think that's the kind of environment we're heading into. Let me just let me ask you before we, we go. Um, there was a time where you advocated for buying the financials. Do you, like others, not all, but others, worry that there's another shoe to drop in all this that we've been witnessing, especially on the regional side? It's a wonderful question. Uh, we we only own three small cap banks, and we've done a lot of work in terms of their balance sheet strength and cash flow, and more importantly, management. Are you allowed to, to say what they are? Yeah, Glacier Bank, First Citizens, and East West Bancorp. Exquisitely clean balance sheets, great management teams, and great cash flow. Now, 
we have been very clear that our overall theme for financials is money center banks, Canadian banks, asset managers, and broker dealers. Why? All four of those industries are scalable. And I believe we said on air on April 5th, it's already happened. Big banks are taking share from small banks. The exact inverse of what happened in 2008, 2009. I believe you're going to see massive consolidation. There's 4,000 there's 4, banks in the United States. I think five years from now, there's 2,500 because of the consolidation. There's 600 publicly traded banks. I bet there's 300 because we're going to see consolidation in the, in the small mid-cap land. Who wins in that? The big guys. Why? Because of balance sheet strength, price of tangible book has never been stronger, and they do have the credit and, and balance sheet available to be able to facilitate even through a storm. Are the Leafs going to win the cup too? <laughs> I'm more worried about the Twins. They, did, they, they beat the Yankees for the first time in a season series in 20 years, so maybe they'll finally get to the playoffs and beat the Yankees. That, the Leafs. Do you only go with the Canadians, the Bank of Montreal? You don't, you don't even acknowledge the Leafs? Sure, but to, I don't want to jinx them. If, if you're a true Toronto fan or a true Minnesota sports fan, you never want to support them publicly the because you go the other way. All right. <laughs> it's good having you back. Thank you Thanks so much. Here, especially I appreciate in it. Yeah, yeah, good to see you. Brian Belsky, BMO. Up next, Icon under attack, a bombshell new report today from short seller Hindenburg Research. It's taking aim at Carl Icon's IEP. The full details on this developing story are next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Dow's down 500, and we do have a bombshell today from short seller Hindenburg Research, which is revealing a new short position against Carl Icahn's IEP. The Hindenburg report says IEP has significantly inflated the value of its assets, that it trades at an unreasonable premium to its holding company peers. Hindenburg saying IEP trades at a more than 200 percent premium to its reported net asset value when compared to Dan Loeb's third point and Bill Ackman's Pershing Square, for example, which they contend each trade at a discount. Hindenburg con uh, contends IEP's NAV is inflated by at least 22 percent due to overly aggressive marks and underperformance, which it contends is continuing. They take aim at three IEP units specifically, real estate, meat packaging and automotive parts. Hindenburg also goes after IEP's dividend yield of 15.8%, saying it, quote, equates to an absurd 50.5% of last reported indicative value net asset value. They allege the dividend is unsupported by IEP's cash flow and investment performance, which they say has been negative for years. Hindenburg also says IEP has suffered additional performance losses since its last disclosure. They say uh, they expect ICON to cut or eliminate the dividend entirely. Uh, barring what it calls a miracle turnaround. 
And in one of the most explosive passages in their report today, Hindenburg says, in quote, in brief, Icon has been using money taken in from new investors to pay out dividends to old investors. Such Ponzi-like economic structures are, are sustainable only to the extent that new money is willing to risk being the last one, quote, holding the bag. Icon isn't the only one under fire as well. Hindenburg also takes a shot at Jefferies, saying it's the only large investment bank with research coverage on IEP, saying it has continuously placed a buy rating on IEP units. Quote, in one of the worst cases of sell-side research malpractice we've ever seen, Jeffries Research assumes in all cases, even if it's bear case, that IEP's dividend will be safe into perpetuity, despite providing no support for that assumption. Finally, Hindenburg mentions Icon's personal margins loans, margin loans, which they say Icon hasn't disclosed basic metrics around. And they finish with this, quote, overall, we think Icon, a legend of Wall Street, has made a classic mistake of taking on too much leverage in the face of sustained losses, a combination that rarely ends well. As you can imagine, I reached out to Mr. Icon earlier for a response. Waiting to hear back. We'll certainly share it with you if, in fact, I get one. Coming up. This stock is on track for its best day of the year. Joe owns it, which means we debate it next. You can live out your MasterChef dream when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Courtney Reagan. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. The United Nations is warning that 800,000 people could be forced to flee Sudan as a result of fighting between two rival military factions. Hundreds of people have been killed and thousands wounded over 16 days of battles. The UN warns the situation will continue to devolve into a worse humanitarian crisis. Back in the U.S., House Speaker Kevin McCarthy has accepted an invitation to meet with President Biden next week to discuss how to handle the debt ceiling. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen warns the country could hit the ceiling as early as June 1st, putting new pressure on lawmakers to get a deal done. And Hollywood writers are on strike today after failing to reach an agreement with production studios for a new contract that promises higher wages and more job security. This is the first work stoppage for the Writers Guild of America since 2007 and will disrupt live TV and possibly delay future shows. The last strike lasted 100 days and cost the California economy over $2 billion. Scott, back over to you. Court, appreciate it. Courtney Reagan, thank you. All right, let's get to our chart of the day. Uber shares having their best day of the year after the company reported better than expected results. Uh, Joe, you own it as we take a look at our chart of the day. Chart looks pretty good. Two consecutive Congrats. days where you have a gap higher, and it's warranted today. This was an excellent quarter. It's record profitability and record free cash flow generation. And the guidance for Q2 in terms of profitability looks strong as well. Um, overall, I thought the, the, the call was excellent. Um, obviously, the comments from Uber were supportive of the premise that Lyft in its existence will still be there. But I do believe a lot of the near-term fundamental momentum that Uber is realizing is predicated upon capturing market share from Lyft. And if you just look at overall uh, rideshare in the United States, currently 76% is attributable to Uber. That number, okay, pre-pandemic, 
was in the low 60s. So they're capturing market share. They're navigating through a very difficult environment. They're achieving record profitability. The free cash flow is there. Um, this is a stock that I'm happy to own. And I might buy more if it breaks out above 38, which was the high in February. Speaking of breaking out, 45 bucks IPO price. So for all that we're talking about, how much the stock is up, $45 is the IPO yeah, price. One of the things, Still underwater yeah, from there. Yeah, one of the things I did, did well was to avoid it early on and wait for the company to mature a little bit, kind of wash away some of the, the troubles from the previous management, the social issues that, that were uh, embedded into the company. And I think the company has matured well. I think the current entire management team has really stewarded this company into a, uh, into a really strong position. All right, up next, Antoli with his midday word. But first, a message from Glow Recipe co-founder Christine Chang as CNBC celebrates Asian American and Pacific Islander heritage. It's been incredibly rewarding to build Glow Recipe together with Sarah, my co-founder. We know that female co-founder duos are unique in the industry, and it's been an honor for us to leverage our heritage and be able to storytell around how skincare should be this beautiful, joyful, sensorial self-care experience. My advice for other AAPI founders would be to take up space. Don't minimize your achievements. Don't be afraid to ask for more, ask often, and advocate for your achievements. You deserve to shine. Senior Markets commentator Mike Santoli is right here at Post 9. Um, the market view seems to be changing like the weather. It's like one day we're worried about who's next on the regional banks, the next day we're not. Now we're worried about it again. Yes. Hard landing back in play I until think, it isn't. I, you know, what do you think? What I do you think see? A lot of things coming together to give the feel of a fragile setup. 24 hours before the Fed is likely to hike. So the uh, Australia hiking rates overnight, uh, along with a batch of softer data and another run at some of the weaker regional banks, to me sets up that call of, is the Fed overcommitted to hiking? Is it, you know, they're going to go one too far. Uh, nobody thinks that 25 basis points, at least I don't think 25 basis points changes the game one way or the other. But it does turn the wheel one more time. Uh, and that therefore creates the funding pressures on the regional banks as they are. Also, the, the, the FRC JP Morgan solution, as drum tight as it is and as good for JP Morgan, it's not really a scalable thing, right? If we have a lot of these banks in that situation. So I do think that's reflective of reasons for some more persistent selling at the top end of the range. So that's where I would come down on, uh, on exactly what's driving things right now as we wait at 4,100 and usually want to go into a Fed meeting on a neutral footing. Because part of the problem is, is that, the, as I see it, the, the market doesn't figure that it's, turn, it's, in your words, turning a wheel. It's turning the vice yes. like a little tighter on credit and on just the system at large. One we're already a little worried yeah, about. I was sort of thinking of turning the, turning the crank once more. Exactly that. And that's, that's what it is. And we all know that the market has essentially been presuming that the final one might be one too many because it also is pricing in the, the cuts. I don't think that you have to say that the market really knows what's going to happen, but that that's the direction of the risk. 
Yeah. All right. We'll see. It's going to be interesting. I'll see you on Closing Bell. All right. It's Mike Santoli. Be sure to catch a CNBC special, uh, by the way. Special programming. Berkshire Hathaway's annual shareholder meeting is this Saturday. Mike and Becky Quick live in Omaha. Our coverage does begin at 10 a.m. Eastern time. We're looking very much forward to that. Coming up, we're tracking the trade. Stephanie Link making a new one. She teased it at the top of the show. We're going to tell you exactly what it is next. Welcome back. Stephanie Link, it's time for your new buy. Yes. What is it? UPS. So this is what I call quality on sale. Okay. Um, right? I mean, it's down 14% from the highs. It's down. It was down 10% last week after they reported earnings. And earnings were disappointing, for sure. Um, and, and I think it wasn't a surprise, though. U.S. volumes, domestic volumes were weaker than expected. Um, I do think, though, this, is, this company has size, the scale, a $100 billion business. They have margin upside as well. Uh, and they are focusing on technology and productivity initiatives. So it may not be the right call for this right moment in time, given the uncertainty in the market. But I do like it for the long term. And the valuation is very compelling. And it's in a duopoly. What do you think? Um, I, in the long run, yes. In the short run, we're still in a services to goods, excuse me, a goods to services transition. I just think you're going to have to wait a little bit longer for this to perform. I think the, you know, we're seeing in the manufacturing numbers, which is just people want less ring lights, they want less Lululemon yoga pants. Eventually, that'll change and normalize. I, I'm, I'm not compelled to enter it right now, but I think you're going to be right. Joe? Onan and Joe T. It's been there since January of 2022. The earnings decline was obviously very discouraging. Um, economic demand. You see the, the, the weakness represented in retail sales, to Jim's point. Um, and then July 31st, you have the five-year expiration on the labor contract that impacts, impacts rather 330,000 workers. So Carol Tomei's got a lot of lifting to do, so to speak, uh, to get through that labor situation and to raise margins. She's been focused on raising, marg raising margins by uh, focusing on small businesses and healthcare, but there's there's a lot of uh, digging out to do from those I wanted earnings. to hit some earnings things too. Uh, NXPI? Nice little gain. Uh, yeah. You own that, Jimmy. It did exactly what it should have done. There's a lot I of mean, exposure into autos, right? Autos. That's the exact point. So, you know, autos are being produced regardless of what sales are fine, but even if sales weren't fine, the auto OEMs are going to produce autos to replace inventory. So NXP should have had a good quarter and did have a good quarter. Beat on the top and bottom line. Margins were higher than expected, which is what should happen if you beat on the top line. They raised guidance. All in all, very good, and I see it continuing. It's very attractively priced, and there's growth in its end market. It mainly automotive. Um, you bought more Lamb Research yesterday. Speaking of chips. I did. I mean, I think the inventories are getting corrected. I think that the WFE wafer fab equipment numbers have come down dramatically. I mean, we were expecting 100, 110 billion dollars this year. It's now at 70 billion dollars, uh, according to Micron and Samsung, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So I just think it's an opportunity to be buying on, on any bad days. Uh, and so I just want to make it bigger overall. And I will continue to actually add to it. What about Diamondback Energy, which is having its worst day since March 15th? 
it, buying fang on a bad day? It's ugly, um, but yeah, I will. Down 6%. I think the whole group Oh, you is, will? I will, yeah, yeah. I mean, I actually thought that the quarter was pretty solid overall, okay. and, and the guidance really wasn't changed. They tweaked free cash flow, but they're still going to do $3.1 billion this year in free cash flow. OPEX, CAPEX all look like they're under control, so just a really sloppy energy day, mm -hmm. and I'll take advantage over the coming days if it continues to weaken. Joe, you got Diamond back also. Yeah. Strategy was a net seller of energy on Friday afternoon on the close. Uh, takes the weighting from 11% to slightly below 9%. Still overweight energy, uh, but I wouldn't be adding right here. I'm concerned about energy. I'm concerned about the spot price mm -hmm. of crude oil. All right. Uh, Jonathan Krinsky's in the house, by the way. BTIG, their chief market technician. He's going to join us on set next. Welcome back. Uh, market is still down. Dow's down just about 500. You do have big concerns today yet again about the regional banks. And you can add Bill Ackman to those who are uh, saying that the Fed shouldn't do anything else, uh, in part because of concerns about what's going on in banking. Just tweeted a few moments ago. I reiterate the following. When money market funds rates hit 5% on Thursday, who is not going to take their deposits out of their local bank? Uh, look, there's a lot of concern about what's happening in in, uh, in regional banks, it's like 20, we, we discussed this earlier. It's not that 25 basis points makes a great deal of difference in and of itself. It's in total, when you add the continued stress on the system, the competitive nature of alternatives to yeah. equities, that's what he's alluding to, to part. To take your vice commentary that you were having with Mike Santoli earlier, the vice continues to crank until something pops. And when it pops, it's explosive. The problem here is 25 basis points really matters to deposit costs to banks. Ackman is exactly spot on here. This is just going to precipitate more outflows from a banking system that, as I said earlier, is in the intensive care unit. Yeah. It's a bad idea. I it's a bad idea. I mentioned Jonathan Krinsky uh, from BTIG, their chief market technician, was here uh, in the house of the New York Stock Exchange. Welcome. Good to see you in person uh, rare, for a rarity. Yeah. Uh, how vulnerable are stocks, do you think, right here? Yeah, it's good to see you in person, Scott. Just a quick shout to BTIG's annual charity day happening today, raising a lot of good money oh, for some course. great yep. causes. So, um, yeah, look, I mean, the, the crux of our note this week was eye of the beholder. And there's really um, two ways to look at the current market landscape. The bulls will say S&P back to, you know, 4,200, NASDAQ, new highs. You know, that's, that's good action. The bears will take the other side and say there's weakness under the surface, there's microcaps breaking down to 52-week lows, regional banks, we know about those problems. And so what we did is we looked at, you know, what do new bull markets typically look like six or seven months after the bottom, which is, according to the bulls, where we are now. And if you go back to the 2003 bottom and the 2009 bottom, six or seven months later, you had a pretty stark contrast in market performance where microcaps perform the best, then small caps, then mid caps, then large caps, then mega caps. Pretty stark ladder. That was the exact same from off the 2003 bottom and off the 2009 bottom. And with the exception of the FANG stocks, it was the same off the 2020 COVID bottom. 
What does the market landscape look like right now? It's the complete opposite. You have, you know, FANG stocks doing the best, then the mega caps, large, mid, small micro caps. Micro caps actually hit a new 52-week low today. So um, from our perspective, that's not the hallmarks of a new bull market. And therefore, you know, we think, uh, you know, equities generally continue to work to the downside. Are we going back to the bottom? I, look, I think you know, 3,600 or so is certainly in play, and it's it's not a stretch to get there. All you, and you can see what happens today when a couple of the large cap names kind of catch down to what the small and, and mids are doing. Jonathan, the duration of this correction is clearly longer than what we've experienced in the last 12 years. Where are we in the cycle when you study duration, thinking about the corrective behavior? Yeah, I think you know the, the closest analogy would be off the tech bubble, right? That was kind of a, a two and a half year bear market. Um, so clearly, I think we're getting to the point where you have to start having the major indices head back lower if, in fact, this is just a bear market rally, which we think it is. So I think we've seen it before. Um, it's certainly much different than what we saw in, in 09, where it was more of a V bottom. Um, but I think we've seen this playbook before. What do you, yeah, what do you well, think? I, I think he's exactly right. He's stating the facts, right? Microcaps, small caps, equal weight. Has Everything has stunk relative to the FANG-weighted S&P 500 and NASDAQ. What that's telling me, from a fundamental point of view, you and I know how we run, right, is that this market still believes very strongly there is a recession imminent. And it may well be right, Scott. I am balanced in this. It may well be right. The reason that I place a lower emphasis on it is both because earnings are coming in better than expected. I know this is not your world. And because the labor market, for all of the cracks, is really still hanging in there quite strong. I could be wrong, though, Scott. I could. But this market is screaming. The technicals and the fundamentals are screaming recession is imminent. At this moment, I disagree. Does technology hang in there? I, I don't think you can't go back to the October lows with technology hanging in there. But I think if you look even within technology, it's the same story, right? You've had the biggest cap names yeah, doing I, the best. Uh, you've had equal weight semiconductors down significantly over the last few weeks. Uh, software has been kind of, uh, you know, a little bit vulnerable. So, um, you know, I don't know what it's going to take to to get people to pull the ripcord on those mega cap names. But I do think. You know, to get to 3,600, you're clearly going to need to see those names roll over, and I think they will. Why? Why would they? Well, I mean, especially after they just reported, and all of them gave you every reason to feel confident in in why you've been putting your money there. Yeah, I mean, look, if you look at the other the other part of this picture is the credit markets, and um, if you look at credit default swaps on investment grade and, and high yield spreads, um, they did not confirm what equity volatility was telling you. You can look at it within the technology space as well, um, not confirming what technology is doing. So I think ultimately what gets those mega cap names to sell off is that everyone is, is largely full there. I think to some extent people have been buying those as a way to play the upside in equities, but more liquid, more defensive aspect. And so, sure. um, you know, it's our view that those are largely full at this point. And, you know, sometimes it's, you just get a hangover post, post those earnings. Yeah, it's good seeing you. Again, Thank you. Best good of to be luck here. to you and everybody over there on your, on your uh, annual charity day. Thank you. That's Jonathan Krinsky, BTIG. We'll do finals next. I'll see a closing bell today, 3 Eastern. Cameron Dawson is going to join me along with Tanner's Eric Johnston. Get his market view, his latest one. Stacey Raskin ahead of AMD's numbers. And Kate Rogers sets us up for Starbucks as well. They're in overtime too tonight. So we got some good earnings to walk you right up to. Farmer Jim 
Labenthal. Transocean. Okay, very On specul- the balance beam, Mr. Balance. <laughs> Transocean. <laughs> Listen, this is a very speculative name, okay, but you're getting an opportunity here. Reported last night, EBITDA a lot better than expected. Uh, rig, rig day rates are going up. This is going to be a home run. All right. Mm. I feel like you're on the uneven bars. We'll see. We'll give you the I'm balance an, beam I'm for an now. acrobat. Go <laughs> see. Vertex Pharmaceuticals, strong earnings report. I think this stock pushes well north of 400. All right, the Linkster. Procter & Gamble, I thought it was one of the best companies that reported in Staples. It's a little expensive at 26 times, but they beat earnings, revenues, margins, and guided higher with organic growth of 7%. All right, good stuff, everybody. See you on the closing bell. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.